Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. When I am stronger, like physically, my body is stronger. My neurological connection to my muscles is stronger. Life is easier. Your working out time is not just burning calories. It's that and like 50 million other upregulations of your body. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Hey, hey, Bettys. Welcome back to another episode of Better. It's me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And today I am bringing you a conversation with basically my blonde twin. Her name is Tara Garrison. Now, I first saw Tara on Instagram and reached out to her to have her on the show. She is the founder of Hire, which is a health and life coaching company uh, that offers training, nutrition, mindset, and biohacking coaching. She has helped many celebrities, professional athletes, and top executives optimize their health. She is the author of Short-Term Keto, host of the Inside Out Health podcast, and creator of Hire Retreats, and the producer of The Coach Tara app. She's also a mom of four, an avid weightlifter as uh, as I am, and a Boston marathoner. So what did we talk about today? We talked all about weightlifting for women, some of the challenges that women uh, have when we are moving into our perimenopausal and menopausal years. We talked about boundaries and stress recovery and sleep, training intensity, how to uh, train for hypertrophy versus strength versus endurance. They are different. Um, We had a wonderful conversation. This is going to be really useful for any of you that are listening. If you are a woman or you know of a woman who is struggling in perimenopause and menopause, please share this episode with her because we talk about some of our own struggles and our own discoveries when it comes to health and work and life balance and some of the strategies that have worked really well for her and myself. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Tara Garrison. 
I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Tara Garrison, I'm so delighted to welcome you to the Better Podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I reached out to you um, on Instagram because it seems like we are very much uh, kindred spirits, um, very much into weight training. Uh, I think you're kind of around the same age as me-ish, like mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm 40. In my, okay, so I'm like mid-40s mm-hmm. uh, myself. I'm 45. And I was like, okay, so there's another, there's, there's more, there's more people out there. So... <laughs> Uh, and in my effort to kind of reach out and um, and to connect with people, you were someone that I wanted to have on the show because you talk a lot, of, certainly about weight training, but also what I think is actually far more interesting, which is kind of the mindset, like who do you need to become in order to be the person that has four kids and trains and looks like you know, incredible and has, you know, myogenic and neurogenic, like you can see your muscles when, even when you're not flexing. Um, So I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Uh, I thought we might start um, 
because this is something I will drill down into my audience until I am blue in the face around misconceptions around weightlifting for women. Mm-hmm. And I, I I wondered if you might start with, at least in your practice and your experience, what are, let's say, the top two to three uh, misconceptions that you think women have when they are embarking on a weightlifting? Or maybe they've heard like from yourself or myself, they're like, oh God, Stephanie's yammering on again about weights. Like what, but I don't want to get bulky or I don't want to get mm-hmm. what, you know, in, insert here. So what mm-hmm. are what are some of the misconceptions that you hear or that you come across when it comes to weightlifting and women? You know, the first one that comes to mind is probably not one that people say as dramatically. I mean, of course, we can hit on the I don't want to get bulky thing because that's talked about a lot and it is a common fear. But the first one that comes to mind is more of and it's one that I experienced myself because I definitely did not grow up fit. I was overweight. I was a marathon runner, still overweight like that. I have lived the life of like nothing works. I just need to hire some trainer to come live in my house and knock the brownie out of my hand. Forget it. I can't do this. Like my whole life was like that before weight training. And when I first was like trying out resistance training, I hated it. When I was married, my ex-husband would be like, come over and like lift some weights with me. And I was like little grump face, little pouty, like (laughs) poor thing. Um, And it was just the, the, and this is what it is. I didn't feel like I was getting a good workout because I had associated mm-hmm. my heart is pounding the entire time. If I'm not dripping sweat, I'm not burning enough calories and this is a waste of my time. And that is completely backwards. Actually having to always be heart pumping. It's not that that's bad. Of course, that's good for us too. But if that is all you ever do, when you do that exercise, you have now become dependent on that exercise for just calorie burning. That's it. That's all you're getting. So it is like you go and do the exercise. You maybe burn some calories. You get some cardiovascular benefits, whatever, but you're done. When you lift weights and once you get better at it, you actually will start sweating and getting your heart rate up more and things, but you are putting money in the bank for all the time. You're changing your hormones. You're changing the way your body operates and utilizes food. So you are like not only getting the benefit of the quote unquote calorie burning from working out, but you're also promoting insulin sensitivity, promoting growth hormone, uh, using carbohydrates better, improving the health of your gut microbiome, increasing all of your neurotransmitters. Now all exercise does this, but weight training, when you consistently, especially if you can combine like some steady state cardio, like I like to walk uphill on the treadmill now. And guys, I, I'm telling you, I, I was a marathon runner. I have run the Boston Marathon. I have done all the cardio. <laughs> and my mental health has never, it, during that phase of my life, it was never even close to what it is now from lifting weights, eating high quality food, more protein that was just in an effort to help me grow muscle. When you eat animal proteins, especially ones that are high quality, but all of them will do this. You you help increase dopamine, serotonin, right? Which are the main two neurochemicals that help with mental health. GABA also gets benefited. Um, and just to kind of share what those are, dopamine is what helps you feel confident, 
uh, put together, your executive functioning is higher, you make clear decisions. Um, you, it's kind of a go for it mentality and I'm good with life and I'm like living life to the fullest. That's what dopamine feels like. Serotonin is like the happiness neurochemical and that also gets boosted through all exercise. But if you can combine these two, you're going to get all those benefits. I just said the growth hormone, the insulin sensitivity, balancing out your estrogen, testosterone levels, your gut microbiome gets improved, all of this stuff. Serotonin is happiness honestly, just feeling good. I mean, there's a reason when people are depressed that docs put them on SSRIs, which raise serotonin because we, I won't get into that, but <laughs> serotonin, when that's boosted, you're going to feel happier. Right. And then GABA is the the inhibitory neurotransmitter. That's like the brakes on your brain that helps you feel cool, calm, collected. You're not over worried about stuff. It's just, you're able to let things go. You're able to stay present in the moment and not be thinking about all the things that could go wrong in your life. And all of those also get regulated and promoted at healthy levels when you consistently weight train and exercise in general. But these, all of this together, especially if you clean up your eating and you're eating in a way that's agrees with your body, like it's, you go from at least my experience and most women who have taken the same path, I went from mood swings to feeling down about myself, not going after it in life um, to once I started weightlifting, I call it my accidental personal awakening. And that's why I'm so big on this. I, I woke up truly. I know now, now knowing what I know now as a health professional, I didn't know what was going on with me. All I knew was like, I'm like, I am operating in a different brain. It's not just I'm like feeling more confident because my body, quote unquote, looks better. That I knew it was different than that. I was like, the way I feel inside my brain is different. I'm questioning things. I'm doing more critical thinking. I'm having more confidence in my own ability to make decisions. I'm organizing my time better. I have more energy. So from a um, neurochemical standpoint, I'm pretty nerdy. I love neurotransmitters. I love talking about these things because they impact our entire reality. Like not only are you going to get... <laughs> have way easier uh, body composition maintenance from weight training in addition to the cardio that you do, but you're going to get a benefit of all of these things, hormone regulation, neurotransmitter regulation, improved gut microbiome, um, improved hormonal health in other ways, such as like I mentioned, the growth hormone and insulin management. I mean, it's just like, it hits so many things and you're, you're, so your working out time is not just burning calories. It's that in like, 50 million other upregulations of your body. So I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate what you're saying in terms of um, not feeling like, you know, your original comment was a lot of women will say, well, if the, if I don't, if my heart rate isn't at like 180 and there's not a vomit bucket, like I don't have a bucket right beside the bike or, you know, I'm doing sprints until I, until I die, then mm -hmm. it wasn't actually worth my investment. And I really like the reframe around Okay. So we have a workout, maybe, well, you know, depending on what you're, you know, if you're doing legs, like certainly, you know, and, and you're doing some kind of explosive movements, certainly you will have a higher heart rate for the duration of that, like when you're you right. know, loading the muscle. But I, I think that it's the adaptation that you're talking about that really yes. does, uh, win out in the long term when we sort of compare 
uh, these two activities. And certainly cardiovascular activity is, is important. I do think that we right. need to be training the cardiopulmonary system, but totally. I think that the adaptations that happen, yes. uh, from a body composition perspective, as you were saying, certainly desirable, but then the, it's the mental stuff, uh, that you were getting into some of the neurotransmitter regulation, uh, you know, as women age, we know like our, our, you know, our beautiful women in our thirties and forties and fifties typically forgotten about, right. But we see kind of a steady decline in progesterone and then often a very sudden decline, uh, when we're kind of approaching menopause in, uh, estrogen and testosterone. And when you were talking about some of the those upregulating uh, mechanisms, I was reminded of uh, Dr. Sarah Godfrey, who's been on the show a few times. And one of the things that she was talking about, she was describing a patient, and I've had a few of these myself, where the patient in menopause is like, I really, I really recognize now what testosterone actually did for me. Like it was, yeah. it gave me confidence. It was right. part of my personality. I took bigger risks with it. And certainly when you are building uh, or you are trying to hypertrophy and grow uh, lean muscle mass, that is just by nature of maintenance, you're going to naturally upregulate that testosterone, those testosterone levels. So it's a very nice, um, we'll say proxy before bioidentical hormones come into mm -hmm. play for naturally boosting your own testosterone levels and even your estrogen levels as well. Like estrogen yes. certainly, uh, I mean, you can certainly speak to this, but you know, estrogen is, uh, typically like phenotypically like the female hormone, but we have more testosterone than we do estrogen. Um, and estrogen in and of itself also like, uh, pardon me, also anabolic as well. So it's also yeah. very important, uh, for growth, um, as well. Yeah, I mean, weightlifting has a regulating effect on these hormones because if your estrogen's too low, that's not good. If if it's too high, that's not good. If your testosterone's too low or high, neither of those are associated with health. And it's the regulating effect that this has, you know, combined with good nutrition. And of course, there's a lot of factors, you know, sleep and having boundaries and rest and recovery and saying no and doing things that fill your soul and all. I mean, it's all comprehensive, but like to me, weightlifting is such a huge piece of the puzzle. And it really breaks my heart to see women hold themselves back from something that could make their life so easy, could make health, optimal health, so much easier. Like I was the kid growing up that was always chubby. Starting in third grade, I was chubby, right? And so all my, I know what it's like to be the person that feels victimized. Like, why is it easier for everyone else? And I have to have this hard thing. Like I, I live that life. I'm now the annoying person who my friends are like, how do you eat so much and stay so lean? How do you, what? Like, and I, you're not tracking your food. You're not, what? Like, how can you eat that much? I'm that person now. And definitely was not before. Even when I was running marathons, I was like 40 pounds overweight running mar full 26 mile marathons. I'm the person now that is like the quote unquote annoying person that it seems quote unquote easy for because of lifting weights. And it breaks my heart to see women just driving themselves into the ground. Like I look in those workout classes and I'm not saying they're bad, like go ahead and do that. But if that is all you ever do is these jump around things and you never hit intensity levels and create this hormesis that you're talking about where you create a hormonal adaptation to the exercise that you do, which has to come through 
and a stimulus intense enough to create that, I look at these women and I'm just like, gosh, it could be so much easier for you. I know what you're experiencing. It's that whole, I'm going to restrict myself, restrict calories, blah, blah, blah. Can't do it anymore. I'm driving up hunger like crazy by doing these 60 minute long classes. And maybe I'm going to go run later, which is totally what I did. And everything was hard. And then I started lifting weights and eating in a way to promote muscle growth. And boom, now it's easy. And so that's that's the thing. And like when women talk about, you know, you asked about misconceptions, like the bulky thing. I mean, it's kind of like almost like beaten to the ground now. I just really hope women aren't still in that place that society saying be smaller, be smaller, be smaller, thin, 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 thin. And I'm like, well, I'm quote unquote the smallest I've ever been and by far have the most muscle mass that I've ever had, right? And so if you want to follow the society program of be small, 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 I'm just telling you, it's going to be a lot easier if you fully go after muscle growth and calm down on all these super prolonged high intensity cardio. It's just making things harder on you. Your 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 hormones, your hunger hormones get messed up from that. It's you. So that's the part of this, all this binging stuff. Some of it's restrictive dieting, but if you're doing restrictive dieting in tons of high intensity cardio for prolonged amount of times, you you're, you're creating disruption of your hunger hormones. That's going to make it impossible for you. So a lot of what I'm doing with people and I work with women in this, I mean, that's most of my clientele is this age demographic. And I'm like, no, no more running. Like, How's that? How's that? I always ask them, like, how's that working for you? You're just going to run, 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 and that's all you're going to do. How is that working for you? Think about your joints, ladies. <laughs> that's the I'm other thing, too. You like, when you're yeah. four, like, I, and I agree with you. I'm not saying that you can't because I do, right. you know, I, I, I also like, I have a stationary bike at home that I will use. I, I'm on Zwift uh, and I'm there in the, in the wintertime and I'll do that one or two times a week. Or I'll, I'll met, like, I'll switch it up and I'm at the gym on the, um, what's that thing called? The stair mat, the, the stairmaster or whatever, but mm. it's all lower impact. Yeah. Number one. So when you're in your forties, the other thing, when we're talking about a longevity play, mm. like I used to run too. I used to run, I was running when I was pregnant. I was running until, you know, probably the 35th or 30, you know, it was like late into my pregnancy when I was still running. Uh -huh. Um, and I think when you're in your forties, uh, as I am, uh, you start to think about, okay, so you know, my, I, I'm thinking of a, a great aunt of mine who just had both knees replaced because there's like no more cartilage there. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. if I continue to run where the impact to my joints are going to be somewhere in the range, depending on how fast you're running and, you know, your weight, somewhere between five to nine times your body weight, like how long are you going to be able to, to sustain those joints? And then to your point with all of the, the hunger hormone signaling, Mm -hmm. I'm always the hungriest when I do cardio. Like I find when yeah, I lift yeah. weights and we know that this is true, that there's sort of an appetite um, uh, reducing effect, let's say, um, from lifting weights, but just like from a longevity play, like your joint, if you are running, uh, the likelihood of you running into complications, at least at the level of the cart, uh, like of the cartilage, right? Like the kind of the padding in between the bones, like you're going to be bone on bone when you're 60 or 65, and then you're going to have to give that up. Well, so. especially if you're not resistance training. So it's like, okay, if you want to keep running, you better be resistance training because otherwise to move those joints for that duration, you're, there's so much impact on them. If you want to be able to protect those joints more, you need more muscular activity going with that running. And like I, I was, when I kind of 
ended my marathon running career, I had already started lifting weights. And actually I'll share for anybody who, if you're like, no, I'm going to freaking run. I'm like a competitive runner. I'm going to do it. I'll share with you. Like I could not qualify for Boston for the longest time. Now, obviously I lost 40 pounds and completely changed my body composition. And that's definitely going to make you a faster runner. But I was training, I was running. So I was spending more time weightlifting, less time running. I was only doing like a three mile run on Mondays, like a sprint interval, 20 minute thing on Wednesdays and like a three or four mile run on Thursdays. And then, and then my long run, um, when I ran Boston and qualified for Boston and the rest of it was all resistance training. And yeah, I I was placing in my age group and I'm on the podium and I looked like a, a, a giant compared to the lady next to me. I mean, she looked like she was like 80 pounds or something. And I was, you know, only like 135 pounds, but had a lot of muscle. I'm like five, six. And it was crazy to me to look at that picture. It, it was really eye opening for me as a health professional. Cause I was like, that's what happens when you have, um, uh, power in your running, your weight is dynamic. It's like you are actually, you, your weight is pushing you instead of just hanging on you. Right. Cause like, if you don't have any muscle, then yeah, I guess you're gonna have to be like 90 pounds, a 90 pound marathon runner, but you can also gain muscle. And then that weight is working for you instead of against you. I know some runners will debate me on that, but most of the runners that I know that are competing at very competitive levels, they, they do definitely resistance train quite a bit to make sure that they're protecting those joints and all of that. The last thing I have to say on this whole topic with the cardio stuff, um, this comes from Dr. Mindy Pels. Have you had her on your show? Several times. Yeah. She's okay. a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Mindy, Mindy was on my podcast also, and she was talking about how, when you go through approach menopause, the job of your ovaries gets handed over to your adrenals, right? So just think about that in terms of the, what you're requiring from your adrenal glands as we approach menopause or are in menopause. It's just like, they're already working double time. And then you're going to take them for like a five hour long run and then drink a bunch of coffee and then starve yourself and then have a bunch of life stress and then do that all over again. Like, come on, that's just, it's not nice to your body, you know? And for me, um, I've always loved running. I, I, even though I was overweight as a kid, I grew up running because my mom was like this pioneer in women's running, went to the Olympic trials. Like she would always bring us to the track and stuff. So running's always been a part of my life. And I, it just has not felt in alignment as I've approached 40, turning 40. It just does. I'm so intuitive with my body and it's just like, just doesn't feel right. Just doesn't. And so that's just me. That's just my personal experience, but I'm sharing that because you know, I guess my question for anyone, if you're really, really in that cardio grind and like your health is not really optimal, like your blood works off or you're feeling exhausted all the time or you're binging, like what is your motivation truly for running? Is it is it really because you love it or is it possibly because it's what you think will keep you skinny? Because like, I'm telling you, it can be so much easier if it's that second one and you're really honest with yourself and it's like, no, I'm just terrified that I'm gonna get fat if I ever stop doing this. It's not more is better, more of the same thing is better. It's completely changing your approach, especially as we approach menopause. It's rest, recovery, hit those intensity levels, shorter runs, eating quality food, having boundaries, sleeping, saying no, like that you will get there with so much more ease than having to run for five, six, seven hours because now you're doing ultra marathons because the marathons aren't working, blah, blah, blah. So just sharing that for that population. Like our, especially as we approach menopause, our bodies need rest and recovery and walking with strength training. That's all I do now. I walk uphill on the treadmill and strength training. That's it. I have not run in like at least a year and it's working. I'm the most effortlessly lean and feeling amazing that I've ever been. So just sharing. 
I, I love that. And I think when you get into your forties, um, at least for me, what I, what I noticed was I became exquisitely more sensitive to stress. Like it seems yeah. like when I was in my twenties and thirties, it's like going through professional school and go, you know, all, having children and all right. the things like all of those big stressors. Um, I was much better equipped, we'll say, mm -hmm. uh, to take, I mean, maybe I was taking on too much, but I, I felt yeah. like I could, I could deal with it. And right. when I turned 40 and now in my forties, I feel like, the same amount of stress is really going to do me in. And then mm -hmm. we have, when you move into perimenopause and menopause, there are, there are different uh, stressors that are happening. So now we are seeing our parents age, right? So maybe there's care and caregiving activities that we have to do to take care of our mothers and our fathers and our aunts and, you know, people that, um, you know, used to take care of us when we were younger. And then there's also, uh, for many of us, if you've had, um, children, your children are growing up, uh, they're in their teenage, at least my children are yeah, teenage and sort of preteen, uh, mm -hmm. age right now. So, you know, they got lips and like they got, they're sassy at this age. And then you're also kind of, at least for me right. as a mom, there's like a part of it. It's like, I'm grieving yeah. that they're no longer small anymore and they, they yeah. actually don't need me as much. So you, all you know, right. you're sort of contemplating, you know, your role as a mom. So there's all these different, and then there's like career stress, there's relationship stress, because totally. certainly um, raising children can be, you know, it can put a strain on any, on any marriage. So I feel like there's a lot of stress that happens for women in their forties. And if we don't become if we don't awake to that and maybe awaken to what you're describing, which is some of the uh, negative impacts that stress may have. And you're like, no, I'm going to run. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to like punch out these like long runs on Sundays or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, not only is your, you know, your joints are going to, you know, kind of go, but then you're going to find yourself kind of with like what I almost call, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but almost like a cortisol belly, right? Like I often find that women who are doing too much cardio will say, mm -hmm. I just have this belly fat that I, I'm accumulating and I can't get rid of it. How do I spot reduce? And of course, obviously you can't do that. But when you are, when we are only stressing ourselves out in that way, um, in terms of exercise, when it's only, you know, the 180 beats per minute kind of workout or whatever, where you feel like you died or you have to, you're close to death. Mm -hmm. Um, this is really where, um, you know, you mentioned the ovaries kind of are like, I'm, I'm done. We've been working for 40 years. I'm collecting my Rolex. And like, now it's all, over. it's like the adrenals <laughs> yeah. are taken over. Right. So you're yeah. putting this, you're taxing the adrenals more than they were when you were in your twenties or thirties. So I do think it's important to really become aware around that. Yeah. I have to add, it, uh, I love that you're paralleling this with like life stress that were, I don't know about you, but I'm like, no, like if it's going to send me into like chronic fatigue type feeling type, no, it's just an, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Like, nope, not mm -hmm. going into that place. Cause you know, as, especially us like kind of go getter high achiever, like we've lived that life and I'm like, well, you've put, you've pushed the finite yeah, limits of matter nothing. already. Yeah. yeah totally. I'm not totally. going into that place, but yeah. with weightlifting, it's kind of an interesting thing to parallel to that vibe. Cause like sometimes, right. Like I have an app and, and sometimes I have to go, it's a fitness app and I have to go film workouts and it's like, freak dude, it's kind of exhausting. Cause I got to be on camera and I got to, and I know to cushion a lot of recovery time from, I'm not working out myself that day. I need, I need a lot of work. I need more. I know I need more sleep when I do that. And weightlifting is kind of like that same vibe of, 
I'm going to go in intense and then I'm going to recover. I'm going to have a short burst of intensity and then I'm going to recover. And the cool thing about that, talking about life stress, one of the major benefits that I found is that when I am stronger, like physically, my body is stronger. My neurological connection to my muscles is stronger. Life is easier. Like that is one thing I definitely noticed out of the gate. I was like, wow, like, Yeah, because like if deadlifting 185 pounds in the gym is like ain't no thing, like picking up this chair and moving it like takes hardly anything out of me or running up the stairs, skipping them two at a time is like literally nothing. Whereas before it was like, oh, gosh, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and so your energy levels literally go up. That is one thing I've noticed so much is I really feel like it's contributed to my day long energy levels because regular life stuff is not as taxing for me because I'm strong. So that also is like a huge benefit. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. You mentioned, you know, the days that you film, you know, that you're going to need more recovery Mm -hmm. um, on that, maybe more sleep, maybe more days off from the gym, as you mentioned. One of the things I, I, I still struggle with this. I'm by no means an expert um, is this idea of boundaries. Like I'm, I'm much better at it now than I was, let's say Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. What has been, um, what has been your journey in being able to set boundaries and uphold them? And I think that a lot of like the conversations that I've had with women is like, oh, I'm so scared to be rude. I'm so scared to hurt people's feelings. Like I'm, I, you know, I'll stay on the phone a little bit longer. Or I'll have that extra drink because she asked me to, like, even though I know that I'm up late and I'm, you know, not, ha- I'm having wine and I shouldn't be, or, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, or I'm having an extra piece of cheesecake because my mother-in-law is like, you know, insulted if we don't eat her food, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you learned to set boundaries mm-hmm. and maybe in a loving way or yeah. maybe not in a loving way. Yeah. I don't know. No, like, definitely in a loving way. All right. Talk to us about that a little bit. Cause I know a lot of women really are so, and I don't know if it's like the conditioning that we have, but we're so scared to speak up. We're so scared to say this actually doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I can definitely speak on this and I'm not trying to say I'm perfect. Cause I think it will always be a lifelong thing, but Honestly, my lack of boundaries is really what led me into the work that I do today. So it is a huge part of the mindset coaching end of my work, which uh, I would say I feel like most of my coaching is mindset. We, I'm like, we do labs, we do training and nutrition, all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yes, that matters. But like the big stuff is this and boundaries is such a huge part. And I am grateful for my life path because I feel like I had the worst boundaries of anyone I've ever worked with, which honestly led me to like total life devastation. I lost everything. I got in a really horrible relationship after my divorce and I just, whatever he said, I just did. 
And he admitted at the end of that, that he was just completely using me. And it, I mean, it was so low. Like I, I went through bankruptcy. I I didn't have a place to live. I had to ask my ex-husband to take my kids for a little while while I lived with a friend and figured my stuff out. I was, my self-esteem was in zero. Like I literally just wanted to like disappear. I was so, it was so low. And through that low, thank, thank goodness, like the universe gifted me with mentors, a coach, um, you know, and I, 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 when you get that low, you are so humbled that you're like, okay, I have to accept that like these results that I'm getting in my life are a result of what's going on inside of me and what is going on. And I went on the most intense journey. Um, I eventually saved up enough money to rent a little basement apartment. And I kind of like truly I kind of socially isolated myself, but in a positive way, I was like, I need to stop dating. I need to stop, you know, like, and just make the people that I hang around most, like every good book, every good mentor, every good teacher, every penny I can muster up, I'm going to invest that into a codependency course or a boundaries course or some, something to help myself. I would go on lots of walks in nature and silence. Um, sometimes I would listen to good books. I would do a lot of written work myself. I started meditating. I mean, I really went crazy on it. And what I learned is the, here's like the gist of the juice from boundaries. One is like a lot of mine was, I, you know, I don't mean, I don't mean to offend anyone. This is just my truth of my life journey. A lot of it was religious indoctrination for me. So the religion I was raised in, I realized that I had developed a pattern of there's a right way to be, and you should be like this. You should think like this. You should live like this. You should show up like this. And if you don't, then you should feel bad. And then you should kind of get yourself back over to the way you should be. Right. So there was a lot of self-abandonment in that. It was like, oh, I f- I'm bad because I'm feeling, I shouldn't even be thinking about that. I should be thinking about this. So there was just such a deep pattern of there's a right way and a good way. And I need to just be like that, right? That is, there's so much self-abandonment there. Then on top of it, women are so programmed with this. We all, it's just like a be sweet and be agreeable and be kind. And, and you're a good mom. If you do everything for everyone and you're a good friend, if you do everything for everyone, you're a good sister and daughter. And oh my gosh, she's amazing. You hear this stuff your entire life. Right. And so for me, what I learned to, in, in order to heal that were there are two things that I was missing. And they're, they're the questions that I give to all my people pleasers. Is It's basically, if you don't have boundaries, you're a people pleaser, you're codependent. And like, welcome to the club. Like most of us are in some way or another, you know? And the two questions I learned to start doing is one, I... I recognize I didn't actually know what I wanted in almost any scenario in my life. I didn't know that. Like, so as I came out of this pattern, it was just like little things like, Tara, which laundry detergent do you want? Not which is the best one and what do people say is the best one and like, which, what do you want to eat right now? Not what you should eat, not what so-and-so says, you, no, no, what do you want to eat? What movies do you actually like? Not what your boyfriend likes or your ex-husband like. like, what do you like? Like, I didn't know the answers to these basic questions, unfortunately, because I had spent my whole life trying to be liked, trying to be loved, right? There's a huge self-worth component to this that is huge, right? It's like, I, I, if I like what they like, then they'll like me, <laughs> right? Or if I am how they want, I think they want me to be, then they'll like me. And then you know? we lose and ourselves so, and then we lose who we are. Yeah. yeah. So I had to go through a huge years. I still do. It. It's like, what do you want to do this weekend, Tara? 
I don't want to do anything. Okay, I got you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, don't, don't just say no to that thing. Like, don't, you know, so learning, the first thing is, and so when this comes at you in normal life, right? Like somebody's like, hey, do you want to go grab coffee on Friday? This is, it call, I call it the people pleaser pause. <laughs> okay. Because my old self, like the literally triple a friend. P. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a little, a, a friend would text me and say, hey girl, want to go get coffee on Friday? And people pleaser Tara would say, yes, totally. Let's do it. I haven't looked at my schedule. I I don't even, I haven't even asked myself if I really want to, if I have the bandwidth or yeah. anything. I'm just like, yes, I like you so much. Let's do it. And then the classic people pleaser pattern. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not even going to be on t- in town on Friday. <laughs> so then I had, this is like something people pleaser do. Oh my gosh. Hey, I'm so sorry. Duh, silly me. I realize I'm not even going to be in town on town. On Friday. Okay. So the people pleaser pause is for, it's like a pause when somebody asks you to do something and it's first, do I want to like really asking, do I even want to go to coffee with her? Is that a yes for me? Or am I doing it because she wants me to, and I feel I want to make sure she knows I like her. And if I say no, she might not like me and all this stuff It's do I want to. And the second one is, do I have the bandwidth? Do I really, let me like really look at my like, Holy crap, dude. I've got two podcasts before that and six client calls. And then I got to go to my son's basketball game. And then like Saturday, I got to get up. Like that just no, that's going to stress me out. That That's going to stress me out if I try to squeeze that in Friday. And then you can actually just interact like a normal human and say, hey, I can't this Friday. How about next Wednesday? Or I, could you do next Wednesday or next Friday? <laughs> and like that, that's the people pleaser pause is do I want to? And do I have the bandwidth that has helped me so much? And it, because it's so important because when you abandon yourself and you do things because you think you have to, or people want you to, you end up resenting them and complaining about them and gossip. You're telling your husband, Oh, I know I have to go to coffee with Jessica on Friday. Cause she's really struggling. I know I like, seriously, I don't even have time, but I have, and like, you're being a horrible friend. You know what I mean? And so you start to blame and victimize yourself and resent. So that man, like that pattern is so big on your health pursuits too, because you're doing what you want. You're doing, you're, you're recognizing your own bandwidth, you know? So it, it's how you do anything is how you do everything. And boundaries is such a huge part of, of, of a health journey and just a healthy life journey. So let's assume that Jessica asks you for coffee. And you've asked yourself, do I want to go for coffee with Jessica? And do I have the bandwidth? And maybe the answer for the bandwidth is like, yes, I do. But I actually don't want to go with her because every time I get together with Jessica, she complains about her husband or she gossips Mm -hmm. about my Mm -hmm. other friend, Veronica or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you do in that scenario? Oh, I've I've lived it. I've had it. That's really brutal, especially for people pleasers. I find friends and kids are really hard. Friends, kids, and romantic, like your closest relationships are really hard. And I I have lived through that. I had a friend that we, you know, kind of bonded, trauma bonded. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it when we were going through our low lows. And I started noticing this. I was like, man, all that happens every time we get together, she literally what you just said, she just complains about her husband and it's horrific and kind of like, it's just hard to handle because I truly think the guy has narcissistic personality or, I mean, it is crazy. It is horrifically abusive. And like, and so I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, girl, I get it. You're not a therapist, right? Right. I'm like, I get it. Yeah. Like, don't be, you know, and I'm like, don't be afraid to just honor your heart, like do whatever feels right. And then it would just be straight back into, you know, 
and this just kept repeating. And I was like, okay, so I have become the sounding board for when she wants to complain for her, about her husband. And that is the whole basis of our relationship really. And I, you know, started recognizing, I'm like, I don't really feel like a, a true friend connection here. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm in these patterns again of like, I'm getting value out of listening and being the kind listening, supportive friend, but it's not a true friendship. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. I just had to start saying no, you know, and And it was hard because there were times where she's like, I really need a friend right now. Oh my gosh. That is like, take a people pleaser and stab them in the heart and twist it a few times. Like I am a horrible person. She's saying she needs a friend and asking me to hang out, but I don't want to, I just, I literally just don't want to. And so, yeah, the growth is exerting your voice and saying, Hey, sorry, I can't, you know, like so much love, but sorry, you know, and eventually, I mean, if you re- if it's really like, a, it wasn't something where I wanted to like have a friendship ending thing, you know, but it was just like, maybe there might be some point, probably not, but she kind of just stopped asking, you know? And so it's like, it is really important to do that because I'm not being a friend to her. If I'm hanging out with her out of pity, that's not being, a fr- I don't want anyone to hang out with me like that. So it's actually disrespectful, you know, and it really is for us. So we can feel like the good person that's there for people. Meanwhile, we're disrespecting them and judging them like, no, you know, so it's like, it's hard to say no sometimes for a people pleaser, but it's really important. I think, um, I think it was Brene Brown. I think she said something like being clear is kind, you know, like if you are clear with someone, I think that's kind. And I, I echo your sentiments. Like I wouldn't want anyone hanging out with me because they feel bad for me. Like that's actually my nightmare. Like I would never want anyone to take pity on me. Oh Um, my God. I would want someone to hang out with me because it's like, wow, I genuinely enjoy our conversation and I feel more energized when I speak to her versus when, you know, like that's the kind of connection that I'm, that I, Yes. Seek. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, kind of tying this back to lifting weights, one of the things that I think lifting weights has given me, and I talk a lot about some of the mental grit and the resilience is like, I can do hard things. Like I can, I can hip thrust quite a bit of weight that, so that, that strength that I have in my body Mm -hmm. also translates into me being able to do difficult things in other verticals of my life, like being able to set a boundary with a friend or, Mm -hmm. you know, boundaries. One of the, one of the things I, uh, I hear a lot of with moms in particular is Mm -hmm. bedtime, right? So we were talking about stress and recovery and sleep. Like it's always, and particularly I think with teenagers, it becomes much more murky waters because their circadian rhythm is actually changing. So -hmm. they, we start Mm -hmm. to see kind of a phasic shift. Like they want to stay up later and later and later, Mm -hmm. and they want to sleep in earlier or later and later in the morning. And I am just naturally someone who likes to go to bed early and wake up early. Mm -hmm. So if I have, you know, and this happens like often on the, you know, the Christmas break, um, you know, they were like, oh, it's the holidays. So we can stay up as late as we want. I'm like, perfect. And I'm going to bed at nine. So you can show yourselves up to your bed. Mommy's not going to be able to tuck you in Mm -hmm. because they still, even though they're, you know, Mm -hmm. 12 Mm -hmm. and 10, they still like their mommy kisses and stuff. So Mm -hmm. like, that's kind of the boundaries that I've had to set too. Because if I don't sleep, I know that the next day I'm a horrible mother. Like I am, Mm -hmm. I am much more quick, like I'm much more sharp, much more like quick to yell if I, if I'm kind of at, if they're doing something that's annoying me versus when I am well rested, I have much more patience. I have a little bit more inhibition coming from Mm -hmm. kind of my frontal lobe. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you deal? How do you counsel some of your clients um, around sleep? 
Oh my I think gosh. That there's, I think that there's also like this, there's also this allure to like stay up late. And it's like, I was out late yeah. last night and I watched a movie and then we binged Netflix. And like, how do you cancel people to really prioritize sleep and say yes to themselves when it comes to sleep? Okay. I love this question because I've been on such a journey with this and I have so much juice to share. Okay. So I am naturally not a go to bed early, early riser. Like everyone in my family is like night owls. My dad's like full on insomnia. Like it, that is not my nature. If left to my own devices, I'll gradually just start staying up later and later. That's how I always was. I mean, even when I was a young mom, so I have four kids, my kids are 17, 15, uh, 12 and 10. Okay. And like when I was a young mom, I mean, I'd be staying up to like one in the morning for like no reason. Like just didn't want the day to end, like all of that stuff. Now, oh, let me share what I've learned. Okay. So the first thing is this, like if you are in that pattern of, I'm just going to like search TikTok or like just look up YouTube videos or like watch Netflix or anything. Cause I kind of don't really want the day to be over, especially with moms. For me, it was, this is like my only time to myself all day. Right. right? It's like, like I was my in, time to unwind. It's my yeah, time. And yeah, And I did not want it to end, you know? And what I've done is I have flip-flopped that to the mornings and it is so beyond worth it. It will change your life. And I know it can be a little hard. So this is what I've learned. One is I have like, and I'm not like a type A person. I'm very fly by the seat of my pants, like all over the place, like naturally. Okay. This is why I've had to do this. So I like seven o'clock is my no more work time. Like nothing stimulating. Like I'm not going to the store. I'm not like nothing stimulating. Like it's laptop is closed. Like I'm just chilling, maybe cleaning up or whatever. Chill mode. Eight o'clock is like my tick for when I start thinking, okay, it's time to start like heading towards bed. Now the house I live in now, like we have five bedrooms upstairs. So me and all my kids are all upstairs. That has like worked really well for me. But what I've told them is, so eight o'clock, I, I communicated this with them. Eight o'clock, I'm starting to get ready for bed. Nine o'clock is lights out. So like I, you guys also, I want you to follow that pattern. You don't have, to, you can do lights out whenever you want, but by nine o'clock when I'm lights out, you definitely need to at least be in your room getting ready for bed. Right. So, um, it's actually worked so beautifully. So like what ha it's actually been more conducive to healthy relationships with my kids. It's been kind of magical because usually I'm in my bed by like eight 30, you know, shower, like all that stuff or whatever, get ready for bed. And they like one by one, they'll just start coming in. They, and they know that nine o'clock is like my, like I'm no longer available. Like the door is closed and I'm the lights are, cause I'll hear them open sometimes. And they like last night, my, ten, I, my 10 year old does that too. He'll like, yeah, open, like, like is she asleep yet? Yeah. <laughs> last night I heard one of my, I think it was my 10 year old. Like I, Open the door and I wasn't asleep yet, but I was like, I'm not opening my eyes because I'm going to sleep and I don't want to be disrupted. And I've communicated this boundary. And I felt I felt him like come over to my bed, check me out, and like walk back out. <laughs> but but it's been so in in what it what has happened is like as I I've just been sharing the joy of this pattern. Then I get up at five. I do my morning routine. I meditate. I do my personal development program that I do with my clients. I do it myself. I'm like starting my day, like so centered. So I get that private time when I'm actually creative and, and have the bandwidth to do things with my life. And I know if you're a night owl, it's hard to believe that you could feel that awake 
early in the morning because I used to be like, yeah, freaking right. You feel awake in the morning. I feel like death. Well, that's because you've programmed your body to be that way and you can easily switch it. If you will start consistently getting up at the same time, your body will eventually get tired enough that you'll get this set. But if you have one night where you stay up till 12 and you sleep until nine, you just mess it all up again. You have to start all over. But what has happened is I've like consistently integrated this. That was probably my biggest health change of 2022 was really nailing this really nailing this pattern. Even on weekends, I started feeling so good. I like even for your 17 year old, your 17 year old does this as well. When she's, well, she's usually spending the night at friends houses on the weekend. So that that's a mess, Mm -hmm. but I will say like, yes, when we're all here. Yeah. It's like, I, you just need to be in your room. You can read, do whatever you want, you know, listen to music, but like, that's what we're going to do. But what has happened is like, I didn't want to force that on them. Like it'd be all weird. But what has happened is I, as I have started, like just naturally, I wasn't like doing this intentionally. It's just, I was just like, dude, I cannot even believe how good I'm feeling from like going to sleep and getting like, it is unreal. Like I am like ecstatic when I wake up, this is so crazy. And I've noticed that my teenagers have picked, they picked up on it. Like now I'm like my 15 year old, he's like doing cold plunge and infrared sauna and stuff. He's like, what should I take before bed? He's taking like fish oil and like, you know, just doing all this stuff. Cause they're, they're just noticing. And I, that's kind of the approach I, t- I never want my kids to feel like pushed into health stuff, but I just share the joy of what I'm experiencing in a very, like, you don't have to do it. I'm just sharing with you. And they've slowly adopted that. Now, of course they go off with their friends and weekends and they're staying up till three in the morning. And you know, I'm not trying to say we're like (laughs) some weird robot family, but that just having boundaries around my own sleep, like you said, you're doing, it's been good for the whole family. And that time, like between eight and nine, when I'm kind of in bed, I, I can't tell you how many like beautiful moments I've had with my kids where like one of them will just come in and tell me about something that's going on in their life because they have like private access to me and I'm just sitting there present for them like reading or journaling but I'll stop you know so can't recommend it enough having boundaries around your own sleep schedule like that like I just try it because you'll see like it will benefit the whole family I love that. And that also, I don't have pets, but I'll also say for everybody who has a dog that sleeps in your bed, let's say with you, that's also setting boundaries with the dog. Cause maybe yes. the dog is waking you up overnight or the cat is waking you up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting those out of the bedroom too. And I, and I will echo, um, your kids are always watching you. So yeah. I have a 17 year old, a 12 and a 10. So I just missed the okay. 15. Yeah. I, I missed the 15 there. <laughs> <laughs> like the, that's the awesome. 17, 12 and 10. And then my 12 and my 10 year old, uh, now are very interested in weights, right? Cool. They're very interested in weights. So I have, and you know, there's a whole, I mean, maybe we'll get into this now, maybe another time, but I I feel like there's a lot of misinformation around weightlifting for children. Like yeah. they're both, in, they're both in soccer. So mm-hmm. they do, you know, a lot of cardio drills and, you know, ankle mobility, like all that stuff, but there's yeah. not actually a formal training program. And it's like, I think that there should be yeah. no evidence to suggest otherwise in terms of stunted growth or anything. Yeah, that's like not that. true. <laughs> yeah. So I've actually started my 12 year old who's doing uh competitive soccer right now. So we have him doing like a, a lower body day and upper body day, that's so and then awesome. a full body day. And it's not like he's not, there's not a lot of weight bearing yet. Like I'm just making sure that he has like the mechanics and like the yeah. proper when he's getting into a squat he's like coming all the way down his he's learning like do my feet like to be straight or is it slightly out do i have beautiful 
torsion out my tibia. Like how do I yeah. get into that perfect squat without like the butt winks and all the things? That's so awesome. yeah, so that's, it's, it's interesting to see that because they see me, I have a small home gym and I also go to a gym as well, just for like, just to change it up. But, um, now they're like, Oh mom, would you, would you like want to train with me? And it's like, yeah, I want to train with you. Mm -hmm. Let's totally do that. So I think that mm -hmm. for the moms that are listening, if you yourself, let's say, engage in mm -hmm. a weight training program, you will find, and I find this is also true with nutrition. Once you start reaping some of the benefits, maybe they're just kind of watching to see if you're like really serious about it. But if it becomes integrated into your, the regular cadence of your life, as it clearly has with you, uh, you often will start getting the questions like, could I do that with you? Like the same is true yep. for diet, right? It's like, yep. I, um, one of the things I, I like to do with women is, um, at least initially, if there's like a lot of blood sugar dysregulation and hormonal issues, it's kind of like a therapeutic intervention of keto. And then from there, we kind of move them off at, like out of keto into either like a cyclical keto or higher protein, higher carbohydrate, um, composition. That's exactly what I do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So what I, what I find is initially people are like keto. No, thank you. Like there's no carbs. Like I am going to get a, there's going to be a heart attack. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And then one, once the person starts kind of feeling better, her energy's better. She's lost some of that inflammatory kind of weight, water weight, let's say. Then people are like, Oh, I'll, I'll try that recipe. Like I'll, I'll see if it, I'll, I'll look, let me just try. Right. And you get that sort of curiosity and that's kind of how you can bring them in on your journey. Cause a lot of women will say, Oh, I don't want to do this because I have to cook two meals. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, what, when I first started doing keto to sort of heal my own hormonal issues that I was having, it was like, y'all are eating what I'm eating. I'm not cooking two things. Like you either eat or yeah, starve. it's so easy yeah. to modulate. So one of my biggest specialties is keto and I have a book called short term keto and my kind of tagline in the space is do keto not forever. So, I right. mean, you're definitely speaking my language right now. And when I was keto, like full keto, it's so easy. It's like, okay, well, I'm making like burritos for them and I'm just going to have like without the shell, right. you know, like in right. a bowl, like it's pretty mm -hmm. simple. You can definitely find ways to navigate that. So yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of keto, I mean, a lot of the issues that women are having around like perimenopause is blood sugar dysregulation, you know, like blood sugar dysregulation, you're going to feel depressed. You're going to have low energy. Like you have high blood sugar, like life sucks. Life sucks like that. And keto is just such a powerful way to restore insulin sensitivity quickly, especially if you match it with Speaking of, you know, on the weight training note, I really like walking on keto because that's mostly fat oxidation and you're running off fat and like, um, higher, like heavier. Now, of course, when you switch to keto, you're going to have like, usually people will have some drop in athletic performance. Although I have seen really inflamed people often say that their athletic performance goes up on keto. Cause yeah, when you're not inflamed anymore, like that probably, mm -hmm. <laughs> that makes sense, right. but right. just like, um, heavy weights, somewhat lower rep ranges. Cause you're just not going to have the glycogen levels to be like going on these super, you know, 20 reps drop set, like crazy, just like, uh, six to 10 max heavy, big rest interval repeat on keto with walking. It's magic sauce, really, really helpful for restoring healthy blood sugar regulation and dropping inflammation and getting the whole metabolic process moving towards, uh, weight loss. If you need fat loss, uh, building muscle, you know, as long as you're having sufficient protein, you can definitely build muscle on keto and just 
the whole body, like the gut, like your entire metabolic system. It's such a powerful boost to upgrade, upregulate. So I love to hear that you're doing that same thing as well. Yeah. And it's great. And it's by the time you've sort of gone through, let's say a four week or a six week, or even Mm -hmm. an eight week, let's say periodization where you're kind of trying to build some foundational strength with the client, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they're, where they've gone through, I like to, I sort of pair it for women. I, I deal mostly with women, so I will do it sort of paired with their menstrual cycle. So when we're kind of cycling yeah. in and out of keto, yes. um, we'll kind of maybe the first month or two is just full on keto. We're just doing like a 70, 20, 10 mm-hmm. or 60, 30, 10 mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but then after that, we will kind of pair their macronutrients to where if they're still uh, in their reproductive years to their yeah. cycle. Yeah. Uh, and if they're menopausal, then it's like they can either cycle or we will just bring them kind of like higher protein, higher carbs. Yeah. Um, and what I find is that those newbie gains, right? Like when you first start lifting, it's like you can actually cr- like make crazy gains in the gym. And it's so motivating in the same way that actually keto is a very motivating diet because within the first two weeks you lose, I mean, it's water weight, but you lose a lot of kind of weight Mm -hmm. and it's sort of, uh, you know, coming back to that dopamine conversation really does jack up that dopaminergic activation because now Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, I'm going to stick with this. Right. Right. And like the best diet, you'll hear me say this, like, a thousand times. It's like the one you can stick to, right? So right. if you feel really motivated on keto, then you'll be able to kind of stick it out for the month or two that, or maybe three or whatever, um, that you should be on it. And then, you know, we can kind of move you into like a higher, you know, higher protein. I usually like higher carbohydrates as well. Once you're kind of out of that, mm-hmm. um, out of mm-hmm. that, um, stage. Well, and speaking of dopamine, like not only from the win you know, getting that kind of dopamine hit. But when you have high blood sugar, if you have high blood sugar, you'll have lower dopamine. And then keto is the most dopamine enhancing diet that you can do because when you're eating a diet that's mostly fat and protein, you'll favor tryptophan, sorry, tyrosine getting across the blood brain barrier to make dopamine more. So you're literally like, you're like going to have this huge, I actually think that's a big reason I wrote about this in the book. Like, I think that's a, people are like, Oh, I feel so good. My brain on ketones. I'm like, it's not just ketones. It's also dopamine. And yeah, it feels really good. And on that note, just a quick side note, some of it is also adrenaline if it goes too far. So make sure you're having enough salt if you're going to do keto to help prevent that adrenaline from going too high. Just have to always uh-huh. add that. For those of you that are watching on YouTube, <laughs> I will very yeah. uh, purposely put my element uh, cup in here for uh, the electrolytes, which I love. Yes. You know, I love that. And uh, the other the other thing that's really nice, which I'll often do for, and this is for my women who are uh, let's say they have a lot of stressors in their life. Maybe we're thinking about like chronic fatigue or something like that is maybe we'll do keto during the day to kind of drive, like you were saying, like dope, yeah. kind of dopamine production. And then in the evening, it's like, okay, now we're going to give you some slow carbs. So now you're going to have some like kind of starchy carbohydrates. Maybe you have a sweet potato, something like you'll use a lot of your carb allowance, let's say yeah. in the evening to drive more serotonin, which of exactly. course is going to help you sleep. It's going right. to be nourishing to the adrenals. It's going to help store glycogen overnight. Cause these women, I'm sure you've seen there's, you know, they wake up like predictably overnight between two and four in the morning, they wake up yeah. and they can't get back to bed. So you have a little bit of that kind of starchy carbohydrate, let's say at the end, you sort of backload it, right? Yeah. Like you sort of yeah. backload the carbohydrate and that can be a very useful tactic Uh, for anyone that's listening, if you're like, God, I try keto, but then I can't sleep. It's like, all right, Mm -hmm. so save Mm -hmm. all your carbs for the evening and then try and see if that helps with some of your sleep. 
Yeah, exactly. Because some people are like, no, I sleep better on keto. And I'm like, well, you probably ha- just naturally have like pretty good serotonin levels. Right. Genetically, you got handed that. But if you started with low serotonin and then you go keto and you have lower, you know, that is such a useful strategy that you just described. And so that's, it's like important to, sometimes people shame themselves. Like, well, she said she sleeps better on keto. I don't know why I'm not sleeping on keto. I was like, well, you're in a different body with different physiology. So right. there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> I love that. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about intensity um, in the gym. Um, okay. I often, uh, when I train and not judging, not judging, but I will see like some women will have like five pound dumbbells and they'll do, let's say 10 reps or 15 reps, whatever, and then put it back down. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, great, there was movement. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that you're committing to a bigger future for yourself. And I don't think that that's a big enough mechanical stimulus to do anything significant. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they're just, I mean, okay. So I'll, I'll qualify no, this by I, saying, assuming that they're not coming off of surgery and they're just in a rehab phase or something like that. Like this is somebody Mm -hmm. who is otherwise healthy trying to put on some muscle. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I'll say is like, if you're not making sex noises, you're not doing it. Like the intensity is not because like my face is contorted. I look like, I look like a crazy lady in the gym. Okay. So I put on earphones. So like, I can't hear myself making those noises. So anyone, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyone that is around me is like, you know, bearing the brunt of that. But can you speak to me a little bit about, Mm -hmm. uh, intensity and what we need or how we can gauge whether or not we are, we have an appropriate amount of signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like, so Reese, I got on TikTok like last year and it was been really eye-opening for me because I feel like my Instagram audience is a lot more educated. Like they've been on this or they've heard so many, like in TikTok was like, I, I don't think it's as saturated with as many health and training people. So like the questions I was getting were like flooring me. I was like, wow, okay, wow. <laughs> and so I'm like, like what, I need what, was a qu- what was a question? What was, what was well, something that you were the getting? question? This one isn't even one of the wow ones, but this is like, was a, is a, is still a common question I get on TikTok is how much weight should I lift? How much weight should I lift on that? Right. How much, how, or how much weight are you lifting on your, on that, on, on all of these? Can you write down which weights you're lifting and how much weight you're lifting? And I'm like, which is irrelevant for them. I'm like, are you asking just cause you're like curious? Like, <laughs> are you comparing yeah. yourself to me? Or like, are you asking? Cause you want me to prescribe you what weight to lift off of TikTok? Cause that right. doesn't work. So right. I've been trying to do some education on that. Now there is for some people and especially like depending on which muscle you're doing like let's take front delts for example those are tiny tiny little muscles right here so like when i was like really learning how to go to failure on my front delts like i'd be leaning on a on a bench like an incline bench you know and like those last reps like doing draw i was just doing my arms because i was just fatiguing so that's body weight but i had you know i had lifted a little bit and dropped and dropped and dropped so what i'm trying to say is that depending on where you're at, if like, I just saw a video of a 96 year old woman that this amazing training facility was training. Right. And they started her off. She was deadlifting. She's 96 years old. She was deadlifting 35 pounds. So proud of her. So it was just beautiful to see, but they said she started with seven. Okay. So let's say, depending on where you're at, like curling a three pound dumbbell, if you're getting to the point where you're like shaking because you're like squeezing, you're really dialing in form and you're new and you're like, oh my gosh, I can hardly lift it. Well, that is heavy for you. 
So it's all relative. You got 10 pounders, right? You're trying to do lateral raises. Those are kind of hard for people. So if you're trying to do a lateral raise, it's for some people, like really nailing that form, a three pound weight might be really hard. And that's great. But what you're looking for, I always just put it this way, is the last couple of reps are almost impossible to get. Like you're just like, Oh my gosh. Oh, like, you know, I did biceps this morning and my last set, they were my last exercise. So I did three exercises, three sets, and I could only get five or six because they were just so fatigued. I, I, you know, I'm going for six and it's just like, nope, that's great. So like, I'm not, people are like, oh, so I always have to train to failure. No. And by the way, most people don't really know what true failure is because if you went to like a really advanced training camp and you'd find out your what you think is failure is not failure. When you've got like coaches screaming in your face and like, go, 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 you'll find out your, what you think is failure. Is I've not heard failure. estimates of like people when they have uh, had someone watch them, let's say, or have a coach like you're describing, like they've underestimated how many reps they can do by like 50%. Oh yes, I that's definitely I went to this, you know, camp for like advanced trainers one time out in Florida. And yeah, what I, I thought, I mean, because I'm like you, I'm like ugly faces, like just, just like going nuts. So I thought I was like really good at pushing myself. No, it, I, I would say that's about accurate of what I experienced. I mean, I was literally screaming <laughs> literally like on a leg extension or like a hack squat. Like I was like, there's no freaking, I was like terrified, <laughs> but I learned, I was like, wow, I had like 10 more. I, what I thought is like failure normally when they're screaming at me, like, no, go, go, go. I was like, okay, I got a lot more in there. So it was really eye opening, but in general at the gym, like you want to whatever weight you're doing and you're like dialing in technique, you're squeezing from the inside out. Like if you're getting that last rep and you can barely get it, like that will create a stimulus for change in your body. And you're right. Like I don't mean this in like a shaming way or like I'm looking at people or whatever, but sometimes I will see, you know, I'll see like women in the gym and they're working out together and they're just kind of going through the motions and they're like talking to their friend or whatever. And that's fine. It's just, you're not going to get the stimulus for adaptation in your body that way. So it's just like, it's no shame in it. It's just like, you could get so much more out of that time and you're going to, that's really just movement and that's fine. But like, if you want to actually grow muscle, you're going to have to hit those intensity levels where it sucks a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the different, because one of the things that I've found and I still find so fascinating is like how tempo can really change how we're how we're training and what we're training mm-hmm. for, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'd love for you to just briefly kind of talk about some of the different tempos that we might consider when you're thinking about, let's say, hypertrophy, where we're trying to build a muscle, let's say, versus uh, strength. And I know that those mm-hmm. correlate very closely together, but let's say, you know, how you might lift differently for someone who's trying to just create strength. And then the third, which you you almost just described before, which is like, you know, the last biceps curls or whatever, which is like kind of endurance. So how yeah. can we, let's say, manipulate variables in t- tempo and other and otherwise uh, to for those three different verticals? Sure. Yeah. So hypertrophy, which is muscle growth is the goal. You want to increase the size of your muscles in uh, there's always going to be crossover on all of these, right? But this is like the bias. This is what we're really focusing on is all about time under tension. So an example of a typical hypertrophy stimulus would be like two counts on the way up and three on the way down. Like I'm going to use bicep curl example for all of these. Okay. So it's, 
it's one, two, and you might, you might hold a squeeze at the top. That's fine. That's just more time under tension, or you might just, and then three on the way down, no time at the bottom. Cause you don't want to break that tension. Right. So you're just continuously like keeping the, the muscle under tension. That would be hypertrophy, uh, rep ranges. Anyway, typically eight to 12 is a very typical hypertrophy three to four sets of that exercise. Strength is about, um, uh, increasing the neurological connection to your muscles and like the neuron firing speed. So you can still have those slow eccentrics if you'd like on strength, but the, and, and actually there has been some research that shows that is actually very beneficial for increasing strength as well, but you can't, you want those faster concentrics. You want to be a little explosive with it. So for example, maybe I'll do an overhead press. Like if I'm doing an overhead press with strength, I want to really get it up there. Right. And you can do what you would, you know, you can do those slow eccentrics still. If you're just training for power, which is the combination of strength and speed, then that's just all about that fast concentric, right? So there's different ways you can vary this, but I do recommend going through a phase of all of these. So a hypertrophy focus, a strength focus, where you're really going after those fast concentrics or the hard part of the lift, right? And then muscular endurance is exactly like it sounds, but it's not just like running. It means the way you lift weights can increase your muscular endurance. And that's going to be like supersets, like 15 reps of uh, bicep curls, you you know, to, from like a, a supinating, like your wrist is turning straight into a hammer curl. You're trying to do 15 of both of those, like that's muscular endurance. And that's really amazing to have also, because then when you go back to that hypertrophy or that strength stimulus, you have more endurance. When you're going into hypertrophy, you have strength. When you're going into strength, you know, you, they all benefit each other. And so, um, periodize or like programming how you want to break those up. You can do like four weeks of like, I'm going to really focus on strength. I'm going to really focus on hypertrophy. I'm going to really focus on um, muscular endurance. That's, that's what I have done in my app. It's just like, I'd like to take, go through phases of that, right? Like a four to six week phase is typical going after each stimulus, unless you're going after like, you know, you're trying to become a body competitive bodybuilder, or, you know, you're trying to be an Olympic lifter. You might go a little longer in those phases, but it's still great for every training athlete, you know, and I say, yes, you as a 45 year old woman listening to this podcast, you can be a strength training athlete. And it's definitely great to go through all of those different stimuli. Yeah. And I, I feel the hypertrophy piece of it for me, I find strength actually comes very easy. So I can be very explosive on the concentric. It's the holding the tension all the time, which mm -hmm. is probably the most difficult for me. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I, I find myself, let's say taking a little break at the top of the squat. <laughs> so it's like, I'll come up there and I'll well, just like, just take a minute and not maybe not a minute, but like a second. And then I'll come, you know, kind of do the movement again. I actually have something to add to that that might be. So one of the uh, certifications I have is called neurotyping. This is from Christian Thibodeau. And it's a personality test that I have my, I'm, all my clients do this. And it based off your personality, it will show some of your more dominant and deficient neurotransmitters. So for example, somebody who's more sensitive to dopamine. So we call it dopamine dominant. It just means they're more sensitive to dopamine, that I, which you probably are just based off your life that you've created for yourself. Um, they tend to be in, that means like you're go getter, you, you know, make things happen in your life, competitive, uh, you know, just going after it driven, the, yeah. driven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Those mm -hmm. type of people will be more neurologically dominant. 
So the strength stimulus is an advantage for them. And they actually will gain more muscle as they use the strength stimulus. That is an advantage for them. And their recovery from those type of workouts is higher than people who aren't sensitive to dopamine. They could like, for me, I'm not a dopamine dominant person. So like if I did a lot of neurological training like that, it would tank me. My HRV would go down after a while. I'm more of the muscular dominant type person. So like adrenaline dominant. So like I could do 10 sets of 10. I, my muscular recovery is incredibly high, right? So different people are different. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good. I still like to take my dopamine dominant people through some hypertrophy phases, but for the most part, you're going to love that stretch reflex, like a squat where you're like, boom, boom. And you get to use a little stretch reflex and stop at the top. You're wired to perform well at those things. So use it, you know? And then every once in a while, it's like, yeah, go through a, go through a hypertrophy phase if you'd like, but like, there's a reason that you're why that you enjoy that more. And that's actually how I train my clients because they'll keep doing training more, the more that they like it. So I try to keep some acceleration, some fast explosive type movement like that for all my dopamine dominant clients. So hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. And you know, the other, I'll say that I, I prefer strength and then I do like, um, I don't love, well, yeah, no, I, I like drop sets. So I actually like the, uh, the, we'll call it the endurance or like just building up some of that metabolic debris, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so maybe you're doing like adductors to like, I was actually doing that this morning. I was doing quads this morning, but then I threw in some adductors at the end and it was like 30 reps, like, you know, changing kind of the angle or whatever yeah. until it was like my butt was on fire. Like that's, I love that nice. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy that as well. Very cool. All right. So, um, I guess the, um, you know, this is, this is, I, I always love speaking to sort of like-minded, uh, women, because I think the more we amplify voices mm -hmm. like yours, I think that it gives other women who are listening, uh, permission, let's say mm -hmm. to be more of well, who they already are. Yeah. I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, if you are attracted to a conversation like this, or you're attracted to a personality like yourself <laughs> or myself, it's like, because you see something in us that is either reflected in you that you haven't yet yes. expressed or that you, um, that you already are, but maybe your life circumstances or what have you hasn't allowed you to, um, to do yeah. so. So I, I would love for you just let people know where they can kind of find you. Um, and uh, if people want to interact more with you, where, where might they do that? Okay. Thanks so much. My um, biggest social media platforms, I guess, are Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And it's just Coach Tara Garrison across the board on those. Um, I have a podcast, Inside Out Health, that hopefully you will be coming on soon. So Love Inside Out you. Health podcast. Yeah. And um, just my website is taragarrison.com. Awesome. We will have these all as clickable links as we always do in the show notes, Tara. It's been just a delight talking yes. to uh, another like-minded uh, woman like you. So congratulations on all your success and thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Likewise. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only and the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. 
The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 